Christmas is great until it sucks. Why? People are the worst. Join us as we discover the choice to forgive or leave things fractured. One of the cool things to come out of uh, that Christmas uh, uh, wrapping thing that we did at Walmart, somebody came up with an envelope uh, and uh, a boy's baby clothing and a girl's baby, baby clothing, and they said, I'm gonna walk away for 30 minutes. You look at the envelope, you wrap the clothing that is appropriate to the gender, and we were part of a gender reveal party uh, at our gift wrapping celebration. Uh, yeah, hashtag baby Jesus, uh, all up in that place. And uh, yeah, uh, when, uh, one of my favorite Christmas gifts that I ever got uh, was my grandfather wrapped a pair of his like yard working clothes that he had destroyed. And he wrapped it for me, put it in a box. I opened it up, and as I opened it up, I was like, what is this? And he just split a gut because he was like, you pay a lot of money to wear clothes with holes in it. Uh, and so I'm giving it to you for free. Does anybody else have grandparents that wonder why we pay more money to ruin our, <laughs> our clothes? That was my grandfather. I, uh, despite popular opinion, I feel like I barf uh, fashion, and, uh, and so if you ever want a tip on how to dress like Pastor Jason, uh, here's what you need to know. Just on a Saturday night, have Ava pick out your clothes, uh, because that's what I do. I have, uh, like, during the week, it's like gym shorts, sweatpants, it's all, the, like, I only dress up to go on a date with my wife and Sunday mornings, uh, because uh, this is the only time I get fashionable, despite what y'all might, <laughs> <you> might think. <laughs> for far too long, though, people used to dress up for church, uh, but it was really a mask from time to time. They would dress up, wear their Sunday best, but then, but really, kind of Monday through Saturday, their lives would look no different than the rest of of the world, like, and that was me forever. Like I, I would wear whatever clothing I wanted to wear, but it would, it would be a mask. I would go to church, but the way I was handling sex was no different. The way I was handling drinking was no different. And, 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 and all this like going to church with my Sunday best was really just a mask. And I think sometimes for us as Christians, we, we, we can be like that. And, it, and it's, it is a sad reality in, in churches and, in, and within Christianity that, that Really, when it comes down to it, the Christian and the non-Christian, when it comes down to what we believe and the way in which we're acting, is really not too different. For me, for me, I can, I might know what good fashion is, but it doesn't necessarily mean I'm going to wear good fashion. I might be able to spot like that's a nice outfit, or that's a nice outfit, or that's not a good outfit, but doesn't mean I'm going to wear said fashion. I might be able to understand what the Bible says in which how I should live, but it doesn't necessarily mean I'm going to do it. We celebrate that Jesus comes in and he changes everything, but yet we don't live any differently, and so it just becomes idealistic change. It's not really change. It's just like change in, in theory, but I believe that we celebrate a baby born in a manger grew to be 33 some odd years old, died on a cross, and I believe it changes everything. I believe that we shouldn't live as if it changes nothing. This is what it says. We're going to look at Ephesians 4 today. Here's what it says in Ephesians 4 verse 24. It says, to put on the new self, 
created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. That, that you and I, that, that when we say yes to Jesus, we're new. We're different. We're not like that old self. We, we, we go from bad fashion to good fashion. But here, but when, So we put on the likeness of Jesus, which is holiness, which is perfection. So what this means is that if we're a new creation in Christ Jesus, we need to act like new creations. If we're in Christ Jesus, we need to put off sin and put on Jesus. And where Paul goes with this is how this should change the way in which we interact. Our relationships should be so much stronger because of Jesus Christ. Here's a thought I want you to think of today. A life transformed by Christ must experience relational transformation. A life transformed by Christ must experience relational transformation. And so... Paul is in these next few verses is going to give us five ways in which relationships should be transformed because of Christ living inside of us. In essence, if you can think of it this way, you have this old wardrobe, you have this old way, this old clothing. Here's what Paul is going to say. Here's how to put on a whole new wardrobe. Here's how to have a, a little makeover of sorts. Five different articles of clothing that should look different. The first thing that he goes into is that if we're transformed, we should be transformed from lying to speaking the truth. Here's what he says in verse 25. Therefore, put away falsehood. Let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members to one another. Think, think back to, to that, that first day, if you will, in creation. What, what happened there? There was lies, wasn't it? Well, it wasn't necessarily the first day, but back in the beginning. You have Adam and Eve, and they, there was lies all throughout that. And lying has been a part of that, that fallen nature. That lying has been a part of our broken nature ever since. Lying, like we could think about any, anything like saying a half-truth or, or exaggerating, exaggerating truth or, or plagiarism or, or flattery when you kind of don't mean it or, or, or you make a promise, but then you know you're, not going, you're, you're going to break the promise. A little white lie, it's not that big of a deal. These are all forms of lying that if we are, if we call ourselves a Christian... If we're saying we've been transformed by Jesus Christ, this can't be part of us. Why? Because the Bible talks about that Jesus is truth, therefore his people have to be truthful. <coughs> you and I cannot be uh, going around just lying to one another because, because you know what that would tell the unbelieving world? <laughs> that our message ain't worth a crap. They're, we're going to say, hey, we have a message of truth. Meanwhile, we're all about lying to one another. They're never going to believe our message of truth if you and I are lying to one another. Our message of truth has to be backed up by you and I, strengthening our relationships based on truth. Now, here's, here's what it doesn't mean, though. It, just because something's truthful doesn't mean you have to say it. You can be a truthful jerk. <laughs> It also doesn't mean that I know truth so I can break confidence and say it to whomever I want just to be truthful. We have to ask God for wisdom on how to share and when to share truth. But the point that Paul's making is that if you put on that new clothing that no longer are you supposed to look like the rest of the world with how you talk about truth. So I want to change your wardrobe. Jonathan Bowinski, cut up here for a second. Graham, are you in the room? Graham, come here. Can you, Jonathan, stand right here? Smile, because Graham's going to take your picture, and it's going to go on Facebook. It's on Facebook Live already, and he's gonna, we're going to blast this. So here, every – okay, sit here. Uh, watch your phone, because you're about to get so many text messages from all the people watching. Uh, Jonathan, I want you to change your hat. I, this is a really nice hat. I think – wait, your mom mailed that to me, right? Like it's in the mail for me? I think I'm getting one of these too. Okay, all right, cool. All right, we're going to put that aside. I want you to just put this hat on. 
Okay, in a little bit, I'm going to keep changing your clothing. Oh, not really, because that's weird. But you're going to go in that room in a second and change clothing there, okay? Uh, so... As he slapped, so this is a nice little, okay, you've changed it, okay, good. So, so for me, I, I was in a predicament about a year and a half ago. I was in Florida, uh, and, and I, to my wife's dismay, I backed the rental car into a mailbox, and, and it broke the taillight. So, I'm, uh, so I'm, at, I'm returning it, and I'm like, oh, everything looks good. It's just a minor little crack, and I get to the point where they, the, the nice little lady, uh, she, she looks over the car, and she's like, okay, you're good to go. And I'm like, in my head, I'm like, yes, I'm good to go. I can sign off. They never knew it, and now I'm, now I'm clear. But I was down there with the, with the church staff, and, and in my mind, I'm like, I can get away with this. <laughs> and so then I had to say, ma'am, I'm sorry, but you missed the taillight. It met a mailbox over vacation, and, uh, <laughs> and it gonna, it's going to cost me. <laughs> and, it, and it did. <laughs> it cost me a 1000 bucks. And uh, But here's, here's why I think that was worth it. Because had I not spoken the truth, I would have lost integrity with my entire church staff. When I would speak, would they be able to trust that I was saying was truthful, or would I be going after my own best interest? Or, or I hope that in that moment I proved that even if it costs me a dollars that I will be truthful in that moment because as a Christian we put on a new hat we wear a different hat and 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 we have to act differently and so when do you need to speak up and share the truth even if it might be the hard thing to do we as Christians believe that being truthful is loving and so the second thing that God's that that Paul is going to say is that we should go from uh, sinful rage to controlled indignation. So so a lay transformed by Christ must experience relational transformation. We're transformed from lying to speaking truth. We're transformed from sinful rage to controlled indignation. Now I I want to explain this because he, he, the verse goes on to say this: Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Give no opportunity to the devil. He's talking about deal with your anger quickly. The longer you let anger linger, the more opportunity you're going to give to our enemy to come in and try to convince us in our rage to do things that we shouldn't be doing. So deal with it quickly or otherwise the enemy has room to come at you for you to be self-defensive, self-serving, resentful, undisciplined, vindictive. You've driven around in a car. You know how this all applies. <laughs> but, he, but Christ was able to show anger but not sin. He was able not to, you know, when he got angry, he didn't throw a temper tantrum. He wasn't storming up the stairs. He, 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 he had his, his emotions in perfect control. And, and what Christ shows me when it comes to sinful, ind uh, righteous indignation is, is the object of Christ's anger. As Christians, we're, I don't want to be flippant. Somebody cuts me off and so I'm going to flip the bird. Like, is that, is, is that what Christ talks about, like how to be angry? Like, I don't think it is. Okay. <laughs> what, what he's talking is about is that I want to be angry at the right thing. I want to be angry at sin. And, and, and I want that to build relationship. I don't, I don't want to build a relationship with, with Jonathan Vowinsky or, or my kids or my wife where I'm just going to be flipping and out. Like they never know if Jason's going to be angry. Jason is going to come out. But I want them to know that. Well, you know what? There's certain things that would make me angry, and it might be sometimes how they're acting. I, I deal with this with, with my kids where, 
where like you guys have kids, like you guys drive, like those are the two things that will make my blood pressure go through the roof, kids and driving. And, and, the, and this week, this morning, I, I gave my two boys a simple instruction. I've shared, shed, said this to you before, mornings are the hardest. I've told Ava, if she ever leaves me, here's how custody is going to go. You get daily custody from 7 a.m. to 8 a.m. and 7 p.m. to 8 p.m. As a parent, those are the two toughest hours of the day. And, and so here I am at like 7.30 or I just say, kids, boys, go upstairs <laughs> and change. That's all I want you to do is change your clothes. And so I go upstairs and my one boy who typically listens to me has changed and he's looking great. And my other boy is still sitting in his underwear and socks and he's reading a book. And I'm like, <laughs> you had five minutes. What are you doing? Like my blood pressure is going through the roof. And he's like, well, I'm reading a book. And I'm like, is the book telling you where your clothes are? <laughs> and the second I threatened to take away video games for the weekend, he was able to get dressed really quickly. Like all of a sudden. And so Johnny V, um, here, this is going to be weird, but I'm going to, you have time now. Okay, go in that room and change out your pants. Okay? Don't, those are actually my pants, so don't fart in them. All right. When my kids push the button, if you will, my, my instinct is to, is to blow a casket. My instinct is to, is to go to a place of rage. But, but what do I want to teach my kids? Do I, do I want them, do I want to teach them that we never know when daddy's going to lose his mind? Or, 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 or what do, how do I, when they see daddy mad, what, what is he mad at? Is he mad that they're taking maybe a little too long to get ready or, or, or they, they did something where they, they got mad at a bit? I don't know. Like, what, do I, what do they want to see, that, see me mad at? I want them to know that I'm going to get angry when they're not acting the way that Jesus has called them to act. I want them to see that that's what daddy doesn't take pleasure in because when they see me, they get an image of heavenly father. And, and the way I treat them is either going to show God to be the, a, a, a condemning, wrathful God that's a big old jerk or a God that really cares about how you and I live because he knows it's for our best interest. I want them to see that in my parenting. I want them to get a proper picture of God as, as I parent them. The third thing that Paul is, is going to encourage us is to be transformed from dishonest gain to honest labor. He says in, in the verse, he, he goes on, he says, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work. Let, let, his, let, him, let him work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with everyone in need. All forms of dishonest gain is not good. All for, like, no matter what you and I are, are a part of, if it's dishonest, if it's not of God, then, then we as Christians shouldn't be a part of it. If, if we are Christians, you know what the word is being used here, the Greek word that talks about like, taking from people? It's the word klepto. So, you know where the word we get, kleptomaniac? It comes from this Greek. Those pants look great on you. And so, and what, what kleptos have a way to do, kleptos have a way to rationalize sinful behavior, have a way to say, well, I'm just hurting the government when I steal from my IRS. I'm just hurting my, the big man, the corporation. I'm just, I'm just hurting. Like, they have a way of rationalizing stealing for their own personal gain. That's what we do when we go and we start to steal. We start to, we, we don't, we want to take from people. We're rationalizing. And we compromise God's values for our own personal gain. But there is an alternative for those that are in Christ Jesus. Work hard with your own hands. 
and give to those who are in need. I love this verse because in my new life in Christ, the, the Greek here, the uh, hard working, it says to work to a, a place of fatigue. We've lost that. Many of us have lost that. Working hard labor. You know what the worship team has done this weekend? They're going to be five services singing and belting their voices. That's hard work for the sake of Christ. I, I want to be part of a community that is working hard with our own hands for the benefit of other people. That should strengthen relationships, shouldn't it? It also shows me that, yes, there are times where people need to, to come to the church and get help from the church. We, we want to be helpful. But, but here's, here's what it is also saying, that if I'm capable of working hard, it's sinful if I don't. <laughs> That I should be working hard. And, and, and if God gives prosperity, he's not giving prosperity just for prosperity's sake. He's giving prosperity for generosity. And that's what it's saying. Like work hard as a Christian. That's going to strengthen your, your relationships so that you can be more generous with those with that which you're working hard. I'm going to, for a second, I didn't get permission to say this because I know she would say no. I'm going to brag on my wife for a second. We, we feel called by God to give over and above 10%, and so we do that. But my wife is self-employed. I was thinking about this this week. She's self-employed, and every single day it feels like she's like, well, I'm just going to quit my job. We're good. We're good. I'm just going to quit. I'm like, no, you can't quit your job. Like, we, no. Of income, yeah, you know, I'm a pastor. You have to work, okay? And so, and so, like, she, but, but here's the reality of it: if she worked three or four days a week, we could still give ten percent and probably be okay. But my wife works a hard five days a week. It's mentally tough for her. And I thought about it this week. The reason she's working those five days a week hard is so that we can be generous above generosity. And I feel like if we as Christians are capable of working hard. We better so that, why? So that we can share with others who are in need. And so we're not going to look for shortcuts. We're, we're, as Christians, we're not going to pad the expense account, cheat on the IRS, or, or say, hey, the money from daddy's dresser, that can go missing. It's not that big of a, of a deal. I'm not going to take out a debt knowing I'm not going to pay it. I'm not going to, when the, when the cashier gives me a 20 when it was really supposed to be a 10, I'm going to pocket the money. I'm going to be honest with all that. All those sorts of things are indicative of the old life. Instead, as a Christian, I am going to work hard so that I can be generous. So, Jonathan, you got sinky feet? Uh, okay, good. Well, you shouldn't. Yeah, okay, here. All right, throw on these bad boys. These are my working boots, Okay. Throw those on. They're a size ten and a half. So, uh, and they're steel-toed. That, they're nice little boots there. Uh, so throw, throw those on uh, for me. The fourth thing that, that Paul is going to talk about is going from foolish talk to encouraging speech. He says, he says in this next verse, he says, Let no, no corrupt talk, corrupting talk, come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up uh, as fits the occasion that it may be grace to those who hear it. When, when Paul uses the word corrupting talk, I love this because it's the same word that can be used of rotten fruit. That if you were to eat rotten fruit and it would bring out this, like you bite into a rotten uh, apple and you would want to say yuck, this is the same word that's used for this, this, this cruddy language that would come out of our mouth. So, so when we're making vulgar jokes or crude jokes or sarcastic remarks or cursing, what it should do for those Christians around us, what it should do for our own selves is pr produce this word yuck, yuck. This shouldn't come out my mouth. But instead, when we are transformed by Christ, what happens is that we become edifying, which means that we're helpful, we're constructive, we're encouraging, we're uplifting. But again, he makes this point. 
as fits the occasion. Because sometimes you might be able to speak a truthful truth into somebody's life, but it doesn't really fit the occasion. So it's not time for that. So you don't say it. You, you say it when it's, when it's appropriate, when it's up. Some things are better left unsaid. You look fantastic. Uh, and so Christians, as Christians, we speak grace. We speak truth. We are to be seasoned with salt. And this isn't about entertaining people with our mouths. This is about building people up, making them feel that you need help getting up there. You're going to lose your feet. Dude, you're rocking this. All right, thank you so much. All right, and so here's, here's some of the most encouraging people I know are, are Erica Longfield. Erica Longfield is a former youth student that randomly will send me a text message just saying, Jason, I know you're working hard. Like, I just want to know I appreciate you. The, a guy named Edgar Lloyd. Here's a message that I got this week from somebody, a random text message, I think on a Monday or Tuesday morning that just said, praying for you this morning, Jason. I pray that God can calm your heart, show you just how worthy you are as a husband, father, pastor, and his child. You're making... You're moving his kingdom, and, and, and you will be attacked. God loves you and will never forsake you. Know what comes from Satan, the sadness, the struggle, the questions. God will give you strength to fight him because he is alongside you. I pray that you have peace. That was, uh, that, the, the text message before that came from, came from the summer. <laughs> and so this was a random text message out of the blue simply to do one thing. Encourage, encourage, encourage. It motivated me. It says that my work has worth. It made me want to work hard that morning. It made me want to prepare this sermon. So when was the last time you built somebody up with your words instead of tearing them down? That would transform our relationships, wouldn't it? Okay, John, I got more for you. Uh, let's see. I know. This is weird. Okay. Uh, all right. You can. How about here? Let me take off your shoes for a second. I'm going to uplift you. <laughs> All right. Okay, go in that room and just throw on this T-shirt, okay? All right, cool. Thank you. Perfect. All right, so he's, he's a total makeover. All right, so the last thing that Paul is talking about is, is that we are going to be transformed from hateful to loving. He, he says that a life transformed by, by, go back for a second, a life transformed by Christ, must, we must experience relational transformation, lying to speaking the truth, simple rage to control the nation, honest gain to honest labor, foolish talk to encouraging speech, hateful to loving. So he says this to close it up. He says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed to the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and all wrath and all anger, clamor, and slander be put away from you along with all malice. And here's the kicker for the for the F-bomb of all F-bombs. Are we going to forgive or are we going to fracture relationships? Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. The second we are transformed by Jesus Christ, we say yes to relationship with Jesus Christ. Guess what happens? The Holy Spirit enters inside of us. The Holy Spirit lives inside of us. The Holy Spirit is God. And when the Holy Spirit sees us doing things that we should not be doing, it grieves him. <coughs> because the Holy Spirit wants us to act as Christ would act. When you're hurt, he, Paul, Paul writes a whole bunch of different things that would be true of us by our own nature when we feel hurt. Have you felt wronged this Christmas season? Has bitterness come out, an attitude that harbors resentment or says, I don't care about reconciliation? Have, have you gone to a place of wrath, deep-seated rage? Have you gone to a place of anger, un an uncontrolled temper with outbursts? Have, have, have you gone to clamor? That's not really a word that you use. You, you use the word clamor? Like you're like, oh, okay, Google it. Clamor is just when, when I'm angry and I'm going to make sure everybody in the room knows that I'm angry. 
That's what it means to clamor. To slander, to destroy someone's reputation because I've been wronged or angry through gossip. To malice, to do anything. When I'm wrong, that I'm going to go through malice, which means I'm just I'm going to act wickedly towards a person intentionally because I am angry. That would grieve the Holy Spirit. It reflects a heart of, of hate. Sin, in those regards, breaks a relationship. How can any one of those acts strengthen our relationships? But instead, God says to act lovingly. He says to be, be kind, to be merciful. He says kindness is part of forgiveness, to that we, when wronged, could, could forgive somebody else, to be tenderhearted, which is to care and to be compassionate. And, and he says, we've been talking about forgiveness. He says to forgive as Christ forgave. How did Christ forgive when, when we wronged him? Did he go to a distant place or did he come near? <laughs> did he hold the upper hand on somebody or did he outstretch his arms and give a, give a, give a hand? <laughs> did he hold it over people's head or did he go to a place of saying, I love you? Our forgiveness, the way we treat people when we're wrong should look different because Jesus looks different. <laughs> the obstacle to, to forgiveness is oftentimes because it's going to cause us pain. I talked with a lot of you last week when we said that when you're wrong, you should, we should forgive people. You know what that does? And I'm there with you because I practice what I preach this week. It brings back that pain. It brings back that hurt as we go, as we try to forgive somebody else. And let me just tell you that Christ went to the cross with joy in his heart. To forgive us meant the pain and the death of God's one and only son. And so we, like Christ, walk through a place of, of, of being wronged and we walk through a place of pain. Why? Because that's the example that we have in Christ and it's a complete forgiveness. It's not, I forgive you in principle, but now I'm going to treat you like a jerk. It's, I'm going to forgive you and it's going to make this relationship even better than it was before. And so John, and do me, just, this is easy now, okay? Just throw, oh, that's a random clip. Well, okay, that's weird. Uh, Throw that off for me. It's a really cool-looking sweatshirt. Here's what's happening in verse 31 and 32. These things can't be true at the same time. You can't be kind while slandering somebody. You can't be wrathful and tenderhearted at the same time. You can't hold bitterness while trying to forgive somebody. And so it's pain that's holding us back. And I want to remind us that, that, yes, if we want to get to the mountaintop of forgiveness, if we want to get to the mountaintop of a reconciled relationship, it might co cost us to walk through the valley of pain. But Christ is there with us. It's the example that we have in Christ. And so relationships, go back to that main point for me. A life transformed by Christ must experience relational transformation, that we're transformed from lying to speaking truth, that, that we are simple rage to controlled indignation, that, that from dishonest gain to honest labor, from foolish talk to encouraging speech, and from hateful to loving. This is how we as, as Christians who have been transformed by Christ should look, and it will strengthen all of our relationships. And guess what? If this is how we look, the unbelieving world is going to want to be part of a community like that. <laughs> They're going to want what we have laying down because you can't talk about the old life in the present tense. <laughs> you can't say that I've been made new while acting like the old Jew. The new and the old can't be true at the same time. And so what was, I, what, what was said today that really hit home for you? Why should you take this as, as, a, as a subject of importance? Why should you care about this? Because our behavior is linked to our belief. If we care, if we care about, about acting a new way because we believe in Jesus Christ, 
We want this. If, if we don't want this, then this says that we don't believe it as much as we say we believe it. And so this has to be a gut check for us. And guess what it will do? Guess what this will do? It will strengthen, like I said, strengthen our relationships. That's one of the uh, values here, that we value uncommon relationships. And the, acting this way, acting as Christ would want us to act, will strengthen our relationships. Okay, so stand, now stand up for a second. I know, okay. Now throw his picture up from before. Does he look different? That's, that's the old Jonathan. His hat's a little cooler, but everything else is, he, I would say he looks better now. <laughs> I have great fashion. And, and you see how this is all too big on him? It's his, it's his new self, though. But it's something to grow into. Do you see that? He's going to grow into these clothes. One day, these clothes would fit. For you and I, we should act like all of those things that Christ would want us to act. It should be true of us right from the get-go, but we're going to live the rest of our lives growing into our new clothes. And so we're going to have to practice forgiveness of ourselves. We're going to have to go to Christ when we fall short. But this is what we strive for, a new, a new set of wardrobe, a new set of clothing that we're going to, to grow into. The, that, old, that old self, let that be foolish talk. Let that old self be, be cursing. Let that old self be stealing. Let that old self be unproductive ways. Let that old self be where we lie. Let that be the old self. But let the new self be altogether loving. Let the new self be forgiving. Let the new self be all of these things that Christ, tenderhearted, kindness, forgiveness, all of those things, uh, uplifting people. Let that be true of us. And so we will look differently as we go into the community. As we go into the community, this should be our look. As we go into the community, this should be our look as we pray for one. As we go into the community, this should be our look as we hold a God loves you card and so do me. As we go into the community, this should be our look as we say, I'm going to forgive you. Why? Because Christ has forgiven me and it's my honor to extend to you forgiveness no matter the pain that it's going to cost me. And so my challenge to you is to dress for success. And so what today did we say that really hit home for you? What today did we say that you're like, if this defines success, then, then what, what, where is the disconnect? What is it lining up? What's the old wardrobe that you're still hanging on to? My encouragement to you today is to pray, is to identify, invite others into the process and say, this is no longer going to be true of me. This is no longer going to be true of us. I'm going to change these things because I want to be in Christ, more like Christ, and so I'm going to change it. And in this, Christ says the, the, the thing that will encompass all of this is the mother of all F-bombs is that we would extend forgiveness to others and make life all about Jesus and not leave relationships fractured. Thanks for joining us today. If you'd like to stay connected, go ahead and subscribe to our YouTube channel, follow us on Facebook or Instagram, and if you would like to help us with our mission of igniting a craving for Jesus by relentlessly loving our community, you can find the link to give and all the other ways to connect with us down in the description box below.